Hello and welcome to Through the Line with me, Andy Bargery. In this show, I am talking with Aaron Harvey, who runs an ad agency in New York, but has been on a bit of a mission to look at and address the challenges of mental health within the marketing and advertising industry. And he has done some research, he's put some campaigns together, he started to engage with employers to work out what can we do to start to tackle what is really plaguing our industry, which is a challenge with mental health. And his campaigns, Dear Manager and Made of Millions, look like being a really great way for us as employers uh, to look at how do we tackle the issues of mental health, how do we address that within our industry. And I think it's a fascinating look at what we can do, what are those practical next steps and action points we can take to address mental health. Enjoy the show. Aaron, how's it going? Hi, how are you? I'm really good. How are you today? Good man. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Well, I'm really I'm really pleased that uh, you you've uh, agreed to come on the show. I'm really pleased um, to to look at the topic area around mental health, which is what we're going to be exploring today. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell our listeners a bit about who you are and kind of how you got to where you are, and and then we can kind of build off from there. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, my name is Aaron Harvey. I'm based in New York City, and I. I'm a co-founder of a creative agency in New York called Ready Set Rocket, and we've been around for about ten years now. This month, which is exciting, and uh, happy birthday! Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, it's been great. We've had opportunity to work with amazing brands, you know, over the years, from you know, the NBA to the American Museum of Natural History, all kinds of fun stuff. And yeah. um, Basically, through my own mental health experiences, a few years ago, decided to also start a mental health charity called Made of Millions Foundation. And um, so we're more of a grassroots advocacy uh, mental health charity focusing on democratizing access to mental health education, rebranding mental health through design and media technology and kind of doing what we do every day as marketers and designers and creatives uh, in the advertising industry and trying to bring that into, into the mental health space. Oh, that's really interesting. And, and I think in the space in which we're, we're both working in, in other words, the marketing and advertising world, there's definitely a, a challenge around this area that we, we need to look at, but I guess the, your impact is much further afield than that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, our industry in general is, um, has pretty much ignored, mental and emotional health, you know, in the tech space in the last five plus years or so, there's been obviously a huge push to make offices more flexible in their formatting and have, you know, dogs and and ping pong tables and all that good (laughs) stuff. But, um, you know, there really hasn't been a concerted effort to look underneath that sort of hip layer at like what what are the actual policy and cultural changes that are necessary to address uh, this sort of growing, you know, this growing crisis in mm. the workplace around mental health? Let's look at if you, I'm guessing you're going to have some numbers to hand here that kind of paint the picture as to, you know, what, what's the evidence? What, what is it that's telling you that there is a growing mental health issue um, that needs to be addressed? I think, you know, the most sort of, <laughs> shocking idea is that you know in the u.s alone we've got 140 or so million people in the in the workforce none of which received any mental health education 
in their lifetime. You know, public policy has just completely failed at all levels to provide any basic level of education on what is a mental health condition, what are common symptomologies, how frequent is it, um, you know, what does it look like, what does it feel like, what does it sound like, how do you access help, what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. So really everyone is left to fend for themselves. And increasingly, even though a large majority of people when they get through college who are going to experience a mental health condition in a lifetime have already had a day or sort of already, already experienced that condition, no one's had the proper intervention mm-hmm. or treatment. So everyone comes funneling directly into our workforce. And when they come into our workforce, um, we as employers are also fundamentally unprepared to handle this situation. So, you know, when there's no underlying or foundational uh, education taking place and you're adding stressors, you're adding workloads, especially in a demanding industry like advertising, then, you know, it's just ripe for issues in the workplace. You know, you're going to be the front lines of dealing with the mental health crisis. Yeah, I I think you're right. And and certainly in our industry, it is definitely a a hotspot because, you know, typically in in an agency environment that you're working long hours, it's demanding, it's challenging. uh, You're trying to please everybody because you've got clients and bosses to look after. So it can be quite a tough environment to work in. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that there's, um, you know, there is a mental health challenge there, but that's nothing new. That's, I mean, agencies have always been tough, right? So something must have changed. Something must be driving this increase in, uh, mental health challenges that we're all facing apart from just the worlds that we're working in. So when when I look at it, uh, for me, quite often I'd put it down to the kind of collision of tech and how that affects your work and your uh, private life. And I'll give you an example of that. So a lot of the time now I have clients in my consultancy world that are moving away from email and moving into WhatsApp. But in that WhatsApp environment, I have an awful lot of chats that are with um, friends and family as well, for example. So it's impossible to separate that kind of work and life. And a colleague of mine uses the term, it's a work-life continuum now rather than a work-life balance, which I think is quite interesting. And, And I think that's just one example of what might be driving this increase in mental health issues. And I'm sure there are many, many more, but can you relate to that experience? Is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the always on culture, the the crossover of, of work and personal, basically social platforms, you know, that's, that's just always putting it dead center in our mind that there is no separation So that's obviously, you know, a challenge. And then also we've just, as a society, and it's realistically all of our faults in advertising, we've completely gamified the experience of all of these technology platforms where you have to refresh, you have to pull it down and get a new feed in. Um, And so we're just constantly always on, we're constantly commingling work and life. And um, those are some of the key reasons why. But I think the other key reason is that... um, People are just now starting to talk about it. So I don't think it's necessarily people with diagnosable mental health conditions. um, You know, I don't think necessarily uh, it in the past has been any less in the sense that uh, it's just more stigma Mm -hmm. and less of an open environment to talk about some of these things. So, you know, one challenge that I have a lot in talking about mental health in the workplace, it's also an opportunity is the idea that, it's easy to relate stress, 
always on culture, things like that as thing as, as um, ideas that exacerbate mental health conditions. But beneath that, there are people who have, you know, severe mental health conditions that they're bringing to the workplace every day um, that maybe go beyond the day-to-day stress of advertising. Okay. Give me some examples of where you've seen that. What, what are you specifically thinking about there? Well, I think, you know, um, mental health in general is a continuum as well. There's no such thing as like being cured or better. You know, there are moments where you feel better and there's times when you don't and your treatment is, is, is an always on evolution. I think, you know, a couple of examples in my, in my personal situation, I um, was silent for over 20 years with my mental health conditions. I have um, you know, really debilitating intrusive thoughts, uh, a lot of thoughts around um, violence and unwanted thoughts around sex and rape and pedophilia and horrific things that um, is all part of a condition called obsessive compulsive disorder that most people mm. have mischaracterized and don't necessarily understand. And, you know, essentially these unwanted thoughts are so disturbing and graphic in their visual nature uh, or come across like voices that ultimately um, you try to hide from the people and places and things that you love or the things that you want to do because you're so afraid of, of it triggering the thoughts. You're so afraid of your character, your potential to harm someone, even though it's not your intention. So this is a, this is a very debilitating condition that most people live in secret with. And for me, it was over 20 years of doing that. So now I had that my whole life. I experienced that since I was a very young kid. But being in the workplace, it absolutely can exacerbate those conditions when you're adding in Mm. a lot of additional stress, you know, the always on kind of uh, constant notification culture, like that can absolutely exacerbate that. But there are still sort of underlying um, issues that I'm bringing in from a life experience into the workplace, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you've got that kind of condition, I suppose you don't switch it off when you sit down at your desk at 9am in the morning, do you? You just kind of bring it with you and you carry forward those those thoughts and those challenges you've had at home or outside of the workplace um, with you into your day to day. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we've also had someone in the office who, you know, um, was an intern and he uh, came into our office and was in the office for a few months, part of this internship. And Unfortunately, he had had a, um, a, a manic episode in the office and no one was aware or ready to sort of spot what those warning signs were and help him um, in this situation. So instead, it looked like this person was, you know, messing around. Maybe they maybe they had, had been drinking or something. You know, everyone was just generally confused and it ended up in, in this person being unfortunately removed from the office uh, and taken to to a psych ward much, much, much later in the day. And it was a very traumatic experience for him and um, a traumatic experience for the team. And, you know, ultimately, those are the types of underlying mental health conditions where this person had never been diagnosed and they didn't know um, what was happening and they didn't really actually have much of a recollection of it. But then suddenly this happened in front of their coworkers and their cell phone video. And, you know, these are really traumatic things. And um, so I think you know, the entry point into this conversation is, hey, everyone experiences stress, healthy and and unhealthy. Hey, we work in advertising and we have fixed budgets, deadlines, limited resources. You know, there's never enough time and money to do anything. And we're being forced to be creative within small little buckets of time. And so all of that in and of itself is stressful and can lead to anxiety and can lead to depression and things of that nature. 
Um, but when you also have these underlying um, longstanding and largely miss or undiagnosed mental health conditions, they, um, they, they really can get exacerbated and, and become much worse in the workplace. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, that our industry attracts a lot of colorful, charismatic people. Um, and it's, you know, it's no surprise that there are challenges there that are not just driven by the environments that we work in, but by the underlying problems that people have had over the years. So that makes sense to me as well. Self-awareness being such critical pieces of, of advertising and understanding a customer and what they're thinking and how they're feeling and how to communicate with them effectively through uh, marketing or creative or design or advertising or whatever it might yeah. be like that's such a key part of what we have to do as creative and I think that ties to or maybe attracts people who have had you know these these darker life experiences and have a level of empathy for themselves maybe and others that um, maybe other people don't yeah, I think there's there's probably some real strength in that. I think that's probably right. Um, so, so interestingly, what you're doing then is you're taking the skills that you've learned in terms of running an ad agency and communicating with people and applying those to helping to communicate with those that have mental health challenges and how we can help to address some of those issues through your foundation, which I think is tremendous. But to tell me a bit about some of the work that the that you're doing with your charity and then let's let's if we can just unpack some of that and explore it a bit in terms of what are the practical applications of that thinking when it comes to running an agency business yeah definitely so about five years ago i was at south by southwest and i finally got the courage to search the phrase violent thoughts and that was a pretty scary thing because that was an admission that something was really wrong it was a really uh, dark time in terms of my mental health and uh, kind of found it to be a last resort. When I did that, I found this article in The Guardian written by Rose Cartwright uh, called Pure. And she wrote about this disorder, this experience, life experience that I had in a, really, in a way that was really, really beautiful and um, humorous and, you know, sort of a jaw-dropping, life-changing, transformative moment uh, for me to realize there were other people out mm -hmm. there and that there were other people out there who had looked at it in some, some way, you know, in a similar lens of mine, I always tried to make fun of my thoughts as a way of coping. And so I found that was really interesting. But what that did was that let me know that, you know, whatever I was experiencing, there was a way to communicate it that could be safe for others, that could be a soft landing for people who were in a similar situation looking for that kind of information. So, um, so that's what led me to launch intrusivethoughts.org. Um, I spent a couple of years just going through different types of therapy, different types of drugs, just really wanted to do what we do as agencies. Uh, I wanted to do my own discovery mm -hmm. process and understand how was I at the time, a 33 year old, you know, white privileged male in the United States of America. And I had no idea what I was experiencing. And I'd probably made fun of OCD before as something related to cleanliness. It's like, how was it physically possible that I was unaware of this information? And so I kind of did that discovery and I realized that where a lot of this information was, it was deep in YouTube and it was deep in psych forums and it was in Facebook groups. And so that led me to launch intrusivethoughts.org. And the goal of that was to really do a keyword play, very SEO focused, and just try to be there for people as a soft landing with, you know, a softer tone, less medicalized language, better design, better user experience, and just give them the information, the education they need, and then push them off in the direction of all of these charities that could actually do a deeper dive for them. 
so that site, you know, that was kind of the the beginnings and the case study. Now that site has over 2 million visitors a year, just organically. Um, and since then we've launched made of millions, um, you know, branded the nonprofit as made of millions, which is all about sort of this idea that all the change we see in the mental health landscape is coming from individuals. It's coming from the people who've been affected by it. Parents, uh, the teens, whoever it is getting on Facebook groups, um, creating local meetups, creating, you know, local guides and resources for their schools for their workplaces, like it's all coming from the people and this democratized movement is really what we're trying to capture with Made of Millions. Um, and so we've been doing everything from launching exhibitions. We've done art exhibitions in Hoxton in London. We've done them in New York and Toronto and really just trying to take a different approach to getting this, um, this storyline out. It's, it's kind of interesting to hear that it's, you know, a democratized movement, i.e. the people that are suffering are pushing the change to help each other rather than it coming from, you know, government or public policy. I think that's, um, is that, I can't decide whether that's a really good thing or whether it's, it's a failing of government that we're not picking up this as an issue quickly enough and, and helping to support the public. It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's a failing, um, but it's a good thing. I think it's really healthy, right? Because, you know, as we support each other through uh, these community groups, through Made of Millions or through, you know, your your um, your other site there, it's, it's great that we're supporting each other to find the resources that we need because those that are suffering or have been through those experiences understand it so well and understand, certainly I, I can talk from experience in yeah. the UK, the limitations of the help that is available for you. Yeah. And I think when you look, if you take a hard look at the nonprofits, you know, they have millions of dollars a year to try to tackle this issue and build awareness. But when you look at their structure, the change, the transformation that we've had to go through as brands and agencies in the last 10 years has been, um, you know, fundamental to say the least. Our clients are reorging every two years and fundamentally changing the way that their organizations are structured to better meet the demand of the modern consumer. And when you look at all of the, these nonprofits, you see um, still board compositions um, that are largely financial and medical in nature. You see, um, you know, you see uh, executives and management structures that are in the same capacity. Um, and ultimately, there's no financial scale for them to go out and hire big ad agencies to do really big campaigns. So they do the best they can. Uh, advocating on a local or a national level, creating materials and things, and maybe they get a chance at doing a big ad campaign around a marquee moment like World Mental Health Day, but they, they there's really no scale. And then secondarily, there's no scale in the private sector in mental health right now because it's largely individual practitioners um, who are charging by the hour, at least here in the U.S., and they don't have the scale to go out and, and do really big public education campaigns. So that's kind of where we've tried to focus our mm -hmm. effort is how can we be more of that ad agency, um, pretend like we were hired by someone and do a really big campaign. And that was kind of why we decided to focus on the workplace this year, because we felt like that was an area that um, was, was ripe for some change, you know, where conversations were growing. That's really good. And I just want to, uh, I guess, go back to that sentiment there in terms of the not-for-profit versus the individual practitioners and between them not having the ability to scale. I think that marries up very nicely with the experiences over here in the UK as well in terms of having access to the support you need as an individual, unless you have very deep pockets, 
is is um, very mm-hmm. difficult to achieve that. But let's um, let's move on to the workplace because a lot of the guys yeah. and girls that listen to this podcast are in the business of running a uh, an agency of some sort, whether it's advertising, marcoms, um, web, SEO, whatever that flavor of marketing service looks like. You know, they're in that business, and typically in that business, you hire people that are fresh out of university or quite often they're quite junior young in their careers and they build a career in this industry and have to learn to to love or uh, loathe it i suppose with all of its challenges but it is it is a sector that has challenges uh, and i know this from my own experiences of hiring people that have struggled with uh, the challenges of working in an agency environment and how we as a business coped with that so let's let's explore that a little bit more then so what does it look like in terms of mental health within our industry um, and what are you seeing in terms of great ways that agencies are dealing with this issue? Yeah, it's interesting right now. There's a big appetite to have the conversation. We've been fortunate to work with the four A's in the U.S., which is a big um, association of advertising agencies that represents about 3.2 million employees and a lot of obviously ad agencies within that, big and small. We've also had the opportunity to work with Society of Digital Agencies, which is over 100 global, um, largely digital shops, and been having a lot of these conversations as well. And in some of their internal studies with um, you know, research they've been doing, uh, surveys, et cetera, the member bodies are very, very interested in mental health um, reform in the workplace. They're getting more and more pressure from um, employees. They're also experiencing the challenges firsthand and recognizing that they need to do something about it. A lot of times this is sort of predicated at that initial starting point around stress and burnout, et cetera, which interestingly world health organization just called burnout, um, you know, a condition. So I think, you know, there's definitely an appetite. Um, the reality though of what's happened is very, very, very minimal. Um, in the U S we have something in our health insurance policies which are obviously work-sponsored, um, called an EAP, an Employee Assistant Plan. And this has largely been the area where people, um, you know, employers can sort of check a box and say, okay, well, we offer an EAP. So if someone's having a tough time, they can dial this phone number um, and they can get immediate support and basically be referred to a therapist and get three sessions for free. Um, but this is not an acceptable approach. Um, I actually used the EAP in my own company in a time of need mm. and did not find that that was a suitable pathway. In fact, I was paired up with someone who, because of the nature of their work, um, only exacerbated my my conditions versus being able to spot that it was um, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and, and to do, be able to advise on a more behavioral intervention. So um, EAPs are just quite simply not enough. So what we have is a situation where, again, we try to create these cool workplaces. Um, you know, we, we have flexible time off. We are getting more progressive in our policies, but we're not addressing anything of the underlying crisis. And that's costing employees, but it's also costing businesses money. And, you know, there's an ROI to be explored around it, um, mm-hmm. not to mention, you know, uh, doing the right thing by people. So, so that's where we focused um, the storyline for Beautiful Brains, which was or is um, a workplace mental health guide that we we created and distributed for free. Um, and that the whole basis of it was to show both you know show organizations and employees that um, by not addressing this, we're we're missing out on both mm. um, a people 
level and a business level. I think that's the right approach. You know, you're showing both employees and employers because I think it is is a partnership here to overcome these challenges. And it, it, it certainly with my experiences, took us as the agency and the employee to work together to kind of establish and understand what was going on and try and look for a solution to resolve the challenge even if it meant and we thought it would and it did it meant that we would part company but the right thing to do was to help that individual and we did and I think yeah. that is is a big part here is working together once you've established that there's an underlying problem here is being able to then uh, find a solution in partnership yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, kind of the approach that we were taking was the truth of the matter is there are not roles in organizations right now that are really assigned to tackle the mental health issue. So what you have are HR groups trying to get involved and in what they're doing uh, the best they mm. can, and they're putting it under the lens of diversity and inclusion. And um, the issue, though, is within HR, there are so many different pieces just within diversity and inclusion that they have to tend to, not to mention just the business of managing people, that mental health, in many cases, just gets clogged and stops right there, uh, any true uh, transformative sort of work. So you'll have consultants coming in or nonprofits and going directly to HR, and then it becomes uh, sort of a part of the HR backlog. Or in a smaller company like ours, with about 30 people, yeah, it's at an owner level or an HR owner level backlog. So what we did was we created this guide so that sort of there's no excuses for um, not being able to see a pathway forward and not having a jumping off point for making the changes that need to be made. And then secondarily, we marketed it directly to employees. So we launched a campaign earlier this year called Dear Manager. And the idea was to say, you know, Dear manager, let's talk about mental health. Um, we also took, you know, people with conditions, um, all real stories, and we put, we we frame those conditions as both a, a positive attribute and also a challenge for the workplace. So, you know, sometimes my hope, hypomania helps with creativity. Other times, it makes it hard to focus. Mm. Can we talk about accommodations? And that was really the kind of the story we were trying to tell. And so, just like consumer marketing, where consumers demand businesses to you know, increasingly behave the way that aligns with consumer values. We're trying to do the same thing and empower employees to um, ask the employers to, you know, modify the workplace um, when it comes to this policy and, and the culture. And then, you know, in an effort to sort of level the playing field. And we've had some, you know, major success. You know, the CEO of Verizon Media um, supported it, came out, posted on LinkedIn, you know, tagged, um, you know, more people into the mix. We had agencies like Big Spaceship come out, um, Mike, the CEO there, come out and tell his story and support it. So I think being able to level the playing field between a junior designer and, you know, a CEO of a 20-year digital agency, um, that's a huge, huge uh, gain for the industry. And to your point, becomes that sort of collaborative effort that needs to happen because no one has it all figured out yet that's for sure <laughs> that's absolutely for sure that no one's got it figured out but it's good to hear there's some impact from that uh, dear manager campaign uh, and i think it's useful to show some successes like that because it encourages others to follow suit yeah you know it's been interesting in the agency space we've had I, I mean, we had no money for the campaign. This is all self-funded and not even through the agency. This is just my own 
my own effort and investment. And, um, you know, we probably launched between making a beautiful brains and dear manager, you know, maybe spent five, 10 grand all in. And, um, it's been amazing to see like the fact that we've been able to, you know, create a conversation that's now taking place in ad age and in ad week and have people like Verizon and major league soccer and interbrand and like all, all these cool companies, um, and companies that I respect, like coming out and, um, and essentially, uh, uh, looking to adopt or promote some aspects of these uh, of this guide either culturally or 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 from a policy perspective got you okay so obviously in beautiful brains for those that haven't read it look in the show notes because i'll definitely be sharing a link to it but within the beautiful brains book uh, that you shared you kind of have this kind of easy next steps you know what how do you practically start to address these issues within your agency or within a business do you want to talk me through those, I think there were four or five different yeah. steps and maybe people can take that away yeah. as a bit of a practical what to do next for their agency as a result of listening to this. And I think that'll be a really powerful um, uh, result of us spending this time talking together. Cool. Sounds great. Yeah. So, you know, the first step is start the conversation. It sounds really basic, but I think we need to remember as agency owners or managers, operators that our employees hold us to a certain pedestal and um, many people experience the mental health stigma in a lot of ways that we might not even experience as agency owners and managers. The idea of uh, upward mobility, if someone finds out that there's an issue or that they've experienced one, or if they disclose an issue that maybe it will affect their ability to get promoted. Maybe it will affect their ability to get a good assignment or to get more client engagement. And so we just have to remember that as leaders in these companies, number one, starting the conversation means be vulnerable in front of your staff. Let your staff know that mental health has affected you in one way or another, whether it's your family, a friend, a celebrity that you follow or admire, like mental health has affected you. And it doesn't mean you need to come out with a big um, personal reveal or story. It just means come out and let them know that you know this is a priority. Other little things around conversation starters can be really valuable. Like have an expert come in and answer some common questions, explain terminology, send monthly wellness emails um, where you include some information, relevant resources, words of communication, um, help people understand like what the warning signs are in the workplace or cut out stigmatizing language. Like stop saying, you know, um, oh yeah, that client is so schizo or that client is crazy or, you know, just cutting that kind of stuff out and trying to create more of an ongoing dialogue. Um, so that, that's really number one. That'll go a really long way. Even just reminding people what your mental health benefits are. Most people don't even know what they are. You know, they sign the document when they come in. So just reminding them, I've seen be highly, highly effective. Yeah, I can totally imagine that's the case as well. If you hear from leadership that, you know what, they've had a challenge, it's okay to talk about it. We, we, it's not something we want to hide away. Then it will certainly make you feel more comfortable in uh, in raising that. I, I think it'll be a bit of a challenge to stop agency folks from calling clients crazy, but I totally get what you're coming from with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, makes sense. And then, you know, the other big thing that, um, that most agencies have not quite figured out yet are accommodations. Um, and so this would be the main sort of policy area that I would recommend looking into. And, you know, it's this idea that yes, generally we've come, especially in the agency world, uh, around to much more liberal workplace policies, like dogs and this and that and whatever. But a lot of times what someone actually needs is more of an accommodation that is personalized to them 
that helps them set themselves up for success and also set you up for success. You know, anecdotally, I had someone who was consistently coming in late. Um, they were a valuable member of the team, but they had missed certain meetings and it just got to the point where it was final warning. And instead, we kind of took a step back and this person disclosed that they actually um, set their alarm four hours before they have a friend call them three times in the morning to try to get them out of bed, but they've just had this really debilitating depression. And so when we found that out, we created an accommodation around this person's um, start date, start time. You know, we, we didn't put meetings on our calendar until noon and, you know, things like that, that, and we created a, um, you know, Hey, for four weeks, let's try this out. If it continues, then, you know, talk to a doctor, let's get a, let's get some kind of note or a bigger conversation going around how we might be able to solve this together. And, you know, happily, um, she was able to solve it within, um, that month and has now still been here a few years later. And so I think that that's, um, that's really the power of what an accommodation can do. Okay. It could have been long term, could have been short term, but we still have this amazing talent around. And, um, you know, that I think that's just an example of some of the power of what those can do. So in the book, there's a lot of different types of accommodations, but I think it just comes down to common sense. You know, it might be something where you align as a company with your HR groups on what are the types of accommodations you're willing to do and um, for how long and with what disclosure and then mm, roll them out okay. to the company. It's an interesting word that accommodations, isn't it? I think it, it, it really obviously applies. I can understand it. And I think it's a, it's a lot about having empathy, isn't it? With the person that's struggling and giving them the flexibility to work out how to overcome those challenges and still continue to contribute towards your business. So your person that's still there a few years later on is, um, is a really nice success story. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, again, people's fear a lot of times is around upper mobility, you know, obviously the direct stigma of people knowing, I think another, um, important point on accommodations is in our industry there's a lot of alcohol and drug use and uh, but specifically a lot of alcohol that is um just constantly a part of the conversation team outings team celebrations award shows networking events client outings um you know it's just never ending there's alcohol in the office and this is becoming an increasing conversation within um, the industry here in the u.s for sure like what are other ways that we can sort of work around that? But, you know, simple accommodations are like if someone in your team has, um, you know, has had an issue with substances, like why are all the, all the things that we create around substances, yeah. like how difficult is it for that person? You know, how should we think of it differently or even bigger picture? Like, I think we all know it can be really hard to reduce our alcohol, manage our alcohol consumption when we're constantly at these events and networking and, working late and all this, you know, all this stuff. So like, how is it that, how is it that someone can actually take a week off or two weeks off to go get actual training and advice on how to manage their alcohol before Mm -hmm. it becomes an actual substance use issue like that? That's an accommodation. You know, is there a way that that type of thing can be brought into the workplace? Because (laughs) I could use that. Like I could definitely benefit from that, you know, instead we just keep, and keep grinding until something becomes a bigger problem. And, and I think your the, the alcohol topic is something that I've talked about on the show before. We had a, a conversation, I think maybe three or four episodes ago, when we were looking more at diversity. And the idea of introducing more diverse backgrounds into your agency environment will create more interesting, colourful, varied communications. But you have to appreciate that you know if you're 
staff has a different religious background, you know, they're not going to appreciate going to the pub for a load of beers on a, on a Friday lunchtime to celebrate a win. They're going to have different things that motivate them. Um, so it's it's not just about mental health; it's about diversity. Right. That subject as well, which I think it's interesting. You were saying earlier on that this often falls into the diversity and inclusion bracket. Although I think there's some overlap, it feels very different to me right. from my perspective. Yeah, and then I think the other big bucket, you know, is just really being involved in funding wellness initiatives. Again, it's one thing to start the conversation. It's one thing to give people confidential means to disclose a condition, um, to make sure that they're protected. It's another thing to offer accommodations as a means of trying to get the best work out of someone and create the most healthy relationship for the person in the company. But the main thing is really keeping that always on conversation on this topic. This is like something we're all dealing with on a daily basis in different levels of symptomology and in different spectrums of severity. And to, you know, do a big initiative around World Mental Health Day, but not to continue the conversation throughout Mm -hmm. the rest of the year is doing a disservice. Um, It's just like a brand doing a bad social impact play. (laughs) You yeah, know, where yeah. everyone smells, you know, bullshit from a mile away. So I think, you know, looking at even, you know, we put a bunch of ideas in there around wellness in- initiatives, you know, potentially hosting some mental health screenings, um, doing ongoing lunch and learns, having some amazing advocates come in, having some amazing psychologists come in, you know, doing things that also go beyond that of, of you know, traditional thinking around mental health, thinking more holistically around ways to help promote sleep and movement and mindfulness, um, you know, ways to introduce humor and community service and, you know, passion projects and things that help to bring, um, you know, purpose through the lens and holistic treatment um, or approach to, to how we talk and care for our employees. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day, we make all of our money off of everyone's brains. So why are we not like, we're good at optimizing, uh, you know, paid ads like why aren't we good at optimizing um you know people's health because that's where we're getting all the actual value from yeah i agree with that we're, we're using their brains but we're not looking after them very well yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's as well from an uh, to, uh, i guess an agency management point of view from an employer branding perspective you know it's no secret that agencies tend to hire young people and young people these days have a very different perspective on what they're looking for from an employer. You know, obviously they want all the usual career progression opportunities, work on great clients, win awards, all that sort of stuff. But they're also looking for agencies that have all of the softer things around, you know, a great vision, for example, that's going to inspire them, um, that they've got things in place to look after their staff. And I think mental health is one of those issues that, employees might start looking for an agency so if you're looking to grow your agency and take on staff and you want great staff then you're going to have to think about these things as part of your employer package i suppose absolutely um yeah i mean people are making qualitative decisions i think in the first i'm seeing it more and more now you know in the first five years or so of the agency even even up into the last two years maybe i've mostly seen two types of people. One are the people who job hop every one to two years to get a title bump and an extra $10,000. The other are the people who are looking for environments where they can see themselves acquiring skills, safe environments where they can acquire skills so that, you know, they can really lean in hard 
become better creatives, marketers, etc. And then when they make a jump, they're making a more substantial jump. Obviously, it's very difficult to invest in anyone who's just bouncing around yeah. every one to two years for title hops. And you can see it 100 miles away. Yeah. I mean, you see it immediately on a resume. And it's just a waste of time to hire those people. Um, not that they're not talented or great people, but it's just like, you know, if we're going to go the extra mile and invest in these types of plans and programs and try to invest in people, then we need people who really subscribe and buy into this ideology. And I think that's though in fairness to them or any employee, that's where sort of these personalized growth plans have to come in. And I do see mental health as a key part of that. If you're feeling stagnant at your job or you feel like you might need to make a a bump to, you know, take a small title bump, even though maybe you don't even personally feel like you've earned it yet at the company you're at, but you need to take a title bump and go somewhere else. You know, maybe there's a lack uh, on the agency management side of, really providing personalized growth plans that are helping to motivate people, make them feel valued, make them feel valued in their job, help them acquire skills so they become, uh, you know, bigger and, and, and better in terms of their ability to uh, scale their career over time. Yeah. And I think that's just part and parcel of being a good employer to have those personal growth plans, whether it's focused on, you know, overcoming mental health challenges or whatever else it is that's in their career objectives. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the best way I think to uh, retain people is to give them a clear path for development, whatever that direction of development might be. Oh, well, it's, it's been a really interesting uh, look at this whole subject. Uh, wh- where should people go to 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 find out more? So, what's the what are the the websites that you mentioned, Aaron? This uh, made so millions. Yes. If anyone's interested in this workplace conversation, go to dearmanager.com where we've got some information on stats and facts in the workplace and we've got the download available there. We also have a UK version um, that we'll be releasing uh, in the next month or two. Uh, And yeah, that just makes some considerations around some of the nuance with, um, you know, in the differences of US and, and UK. We also have a Canadian version up live on the website and we'll be having a Spanish version as well. So, yeah, we're going to keep building into this, and you can kind of access those things at dearmanager.com. The charity is uh, madeofmillions.com, made of millions. And we've got some really exciting things coming up in the next uh, one to two months, relaunching, rebranding, um, launching a tremendous amount of new content, building that platform for ongoing live conversations and things of that nature. So we're excited. Just keep, uh, yeah, keep us in mind as you navigate. And um, yeah, um, you know, we're always looking for support as well. We're a tiny, tiny little self-funded team. So any, uh, any love, whether through partnership or promotion or even financial is always appreciated. Yeah. Okay. That's really good to know. I'll I'll certainly uh, keep an eye out for opportunities for you. I think there's, there's definitely a need to keep this conversation high up the agenda. There's, there's no, there's, um, there's no doubt that this is an issue that's going to keep coming around and around again. You know, we've talked about the always on, which is a, a really easy, obvious one that is creating challenges. But I think particularly in the marketing and advertising world, you know, it's such a, it's such a dynamic, changeable place right now. It's all been driven so much by advances in tech that we're kind of having to relearn our world all of the time. And I think that in itself creates real challenges. And I know that every industry has its own uh, unique challenges, but I think for marketeers, that challenge of 
you know, being so dynamic right now is both an opportunity and a challenge. And I think that's one of the main drivers for what's creating issues in our industry. Yeah, yeah. Aaron, how should people uh, get in touch if they want to reach out and say hello, if they want to get in touch with you directly? What's the best way to, to get you? Yeah, just uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. It's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, Harvey, H-A-R-V-E-Y, at uh, Ready, Set, Rocket, and Made a Millions. Uh, Excellent. Love to hear from you. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me.